Welcome along to the Go Play Soccer podcast with host Manchester United Academy coach Tom Statham. At Go Play, our aim is to bring people together from all across the world to discuss the beautiful game. Tom Statham here, and today on the Go Play Soccer podcast, we are talking with Fraser Campbell and Aaron Burns. Around 20 years ago, I had the pleasure of coaching Fraser and Aaron in the academy at Manchester United. As a pair of strikers and great friends, they both graduated from the academy before taking different paths. Aaron has been a prolific goal scorer as a semi-professional in the northwest of England, whilst Fraser's career went from the Manchester United first team to his current club in the championship Huddersfield Town. But he went via Royal Antwerp, Hull City, Tottenham Hotspur, Sunderland, Cardiff City and Crystal Palace. Joining me to chat with Fraser and Aaron is Sanji Palmer, who runs the Futuro Soccer Academy in Ottawa, Canada. So, Welcome, Fraser, Aaron, and Sanjeev to the Go Play Soccer Podcast. So we're going to start with you, Aaron. You know, 20 years ago or so, you were 11 years old. I was you know, 20 years younger as well. Um, <laughs> apparently, I had uh, less hair than those days, but I'm not sure <laughs> that many people would agree with you. But, um, you know, you were 11 years old. We did. I was doing the under-12s. What are your memories of that time? You know, what, what, what impressions have you got of training at the cliff and all, all that sort of stuff? First and foremost, it's, it's every young lad's dream to, to be given the opportunity to, to trial and, and play for Manchester United, especially in, in, in that um, time. That would have been probably <clears throat> 1998, 1999 times when, you know, Man United were the height of success. Um, so it was a massive honour. Um, and I think every single day was a was a school day. It's a little bit cliche, but the opportunity to to work with a number of great coaches, to to sort of understand that you play with some of the best players uh, in the in the area or in a vicinity, uh, and then you on a weekend you're competing against some of the biggest clubs: Leeds, Manchester United, Manchester City, uh, Manchester City, Liverpool. Um, I think you know other quality players of, of your age group was was always a privilege and always a learning curve. So for me, the fact that every single time I went to training, I was excited and eager to learn and, and always left uh, with like something new to understand about, about football. And um, a lot of the lads that did really well uh, at that time were, were students of the game. And I think that's only enhanced by the, the level of coaches that you come into uh, contact with. Yeah, so obviously one of the lads that was there with you was Fraser. So, you know, what, what are your memories of being 11 years old, Fraser, at, at Manchester United? Yeah, obviously I'm going through the similar kind of feeling that um, as I went through, I went, I was playing um, Sunday League uh, with with my friends. And, you know, it's relaxed, it's chilled. It's just like you're having a kick about with your friends. And then you go to somewhere like Manchester United and, you know, you've got, professional cultures um you've got great facilities and like you said you're rubbing shoulders with some of the best kids um in the area so it was you know being a man united fan as well it was um you know doubly special to to get that chance to to put on a, a man united shirt and 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 learn my craft um you know it was like as i said it was it was lots of fun back then some of the cultures used to tackle us in training 
um, behind the boards at the cliff. But, uh, <laughs> Have you got anyone in mind here, Fraser? Yeah, uh, I don't want to say, but it's, he's the lightest on the screen. <laughs> um, but yeah. But tell, no, just tell everyone about behind the boards at the cliff, because I used to love that behind the boards. So the cliff was an indoor AstroTurf thing, and um, the first, what, 10 metres of what, whatnot were behind a little board before you went onto the actual pictures. We used to do all our warm-up drills and stuff there. And obviously Tom used to get involved and he used to just go through everyone, like tackling off the board, you're getting smashed into the board. You're not even trained started training session yet. And he's <laughs> so the pitch was, it was about 60 meters long and about 10 meters wide, wasn't it? And yeah, had a wall it? one side and chest high board the other <laughs> side. So it was this massive long narrow pitch. And I used to charge around like a lunatic, knocking all you lot about. But it, it, I think it did you some good, though. Nah, yeah, exactly. You know, when you're 10, you, you've not fully developed yet. So it was always nice to to get some, you know, uh, physicality in training. Uh, <laughs> you all come across later in his career. So, yeah, cheers for that. Thank you. Oh, it was a great fun. I used to I used to remember all the parents on the balcony above us. Looking, yeah. over. Were, looking down. Leave my son alone. <laughs> what, what do you remember? You remember those games behind the boards, Aaron? Yeah, do vividly. Yeah, <laughs> down chin pads and stuff and hard hats and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it was it was it was a learning curve. It was an experience, and you know, a lot of us were were, were street footballers anyway. So we, like Fraser said, was learning our craft and to be in those tight um, knit spaces with adults was not really anything new to myself because um, I'd always played with with older kids. I just weren't expecting a 15 year old to be slide tackling. <laughs> um, but no, in all seriousness, you know, great, great, great memories. And like, like Fraser said, it just gives you that bit of physicality in your game that you probably don't experience playing against kids your own age. Yeah, and so what would you say, Fraser, were, were Aaron's strengths as a, as a young player? You know, what, what made him such a good centre forward? Um, greed, I think. Uh, <laughs> he, he never passed, so he's always he's shooting. But now nah, he, he's, he's left-footed as well, so that always makes a player look a little bit better. Um, he knew where the goal was, like I said, and uh, yeah, he was he was eager to learn, like we all were, and um, yeah, good finisher. And what about you, Aaron? What were what were Fraser's qualities that that stood out at the time? Don't say my looks. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you've grown into those. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I think like as as kids, we're all we're all quite good at, uh, at football, but Fraser always had that little bit of star star quality. Almost, he, he used to produce things that you just thought it's a little bit better than everyone else that's here. And at the time, you you know, he plays he could play centre mid. He was playing right wing, and then. As we grew older, he ended up, you know, coming up front and, you know, he was just as adept in, in those positions. But he had athleticism, he had he had grace and, you know, he could he could play football. So it was, I think pretty much most of the team knew that that, that Fraser was, the, was or was going to be the, the star man. There might have been people that were a little bit more uh, developed at 12. But by the time we came to 15, 16, he was, he was almost in a league of his own. Yeah, Frazier, so. Frazier, you you mentioned the word greed, and I love that word you just mentioned. Can you talk about that? That's really important, I think, um, for people that are listening to understand what that actually means. Well, like I say, greed, Taza, because it's a jokey thing, but all the top strikers, um, 
the, the, the main concern is getting the ball out of the feet and, and getting a shot off. And nine times out of 10, they're going to hit the target or they're going to score a goal. And certain people have that ability to to score goals when you think, well, maybe you shouldn't have scored there. But, you know, they practice day in, day out and that's their drive. That's what they really enjoy uh, during the game of football is getting that moment to, you know, be one-on-one with a keeper or getting half a yard on the defender and getting a shot off. And Azza was great at that. He was he was greedy, but, you know, he scored a lot of goals. So it's you, you, you take it on the chin. At what age do you think that it's important to maybe tra- transition from being greedy to using your teammates? Or, is it, or does it matter? Well, if, if every time, if you're greedy, well, every time you shoot, you score. I mean, you don't think you ever need to change that. So it's it just depends on um, different types of players. Um, you see I don't know, Harry Kane, he would be considered as greedy, but then this season, I think he wanted to get 15 assists or 14 assists, which is at the top in, in the Premier League. So it's, you know, you can be greedy, but also a, a supplier uh, for your teammates as well. So it's having that balance. You know, if you've been greedy and you're having loads of shots and you're not scoring, then maybe <laughs> you should pass a couple. <laughs> yeah, but Aaron really always had that gift of being able to finish. So, you know, when he was in and around the box, then you wanted him to be greedy. You wanted him to, yeah. to take the chances. There was there was no problem there. Um, and then, you know, you, you moved on from from me and those days behind the boards at the cliff and you, you progressed through the age groups and got into the youth team. So what, what do you remember of that journey to the older age groups and then playing in the youth team? I think it was, it's almost, um, it's a culmination of all the hard work from, from where I was there from nine to 10. So for six or seven years, you're working towards that day when you get told that you're going to be full-time at Manchester United and, you know, that you get your GCSEs and after you leave school, you, you're going to go and try and be a professional footballer at the best club in the world. So it was, a, it was a culmination of all those years' hard work because people often think that, you know, you're training two or three nights a week, but I'm massive on on purposeful practice and, and that's practicing away from the, from the practice ground. And you guys embedded that into us at such an early age that it's, it's stuff that we all carry with us now for our life. So I think it was it was almost a, a ceremony of the six years of work that we put into it to get to that point. But then we knew that that's probably when the, the real um work started because you you're in the youth team dressing room and you come out and all of a sudden the door across the corridor, Roy Keane walks out or David Beckham or Cristiano Ronaldo and, and you're looking and thinking We've done well, but we're miles away from that. So you just understand that you just have to continue working and continue pushing, really. How about yourself, Fraser? Yeah, just echo what, as I said, you know, it was all throughout the age groups, it was a continuation. You know, you had coaches like yourself, um, all the other coaches were were similar in their um, methods. You know, everyone was pro Man United, the Man United way. So it was like a culture from being young. So it was just an, another stepping stone into get helping us to get to that, like as I said, the eventual goal of of making it hopefully into into the first team. So it's it was like it was nice. It was great that you got there. But like again, like as I said, it was the start point of, you know, the real hard work. That's when you had, you know, the diet nutritionist and people all around you, like teams of people that were going to help you try and take another step up because 
at the, when you get to 16, you, you think that you might have, you know, some way up the ladder, but in reality, you know, you, you, you're just starting on, on your journey. So it was, um, yeah, it was exciting, but um, at the same time, you know, we knew it was going to be um, a lot of hard work in store for us. Aaron, can you talk more about the purposeful training away from the grounds? So what is that actually referred to? Yeah, so uh, essentially if I was someone who was massive on, I almost set myself and goals that didn't exist. So Tom will probably tell you, but I was always the first person to train in. So I used to be on to my mum and my grandma to, to get me to train in 30, 40 minutes before training started because I never wanted to be late. Uh, I always wanted to do the additional practice because I, you know, I probably understood that that's the only way I'm going to either stay at the level that I'm at and continue improving or catch the people that I needed to to catch. And I think that sort of like work ethic uh, and belief stayed with me away. So we uh, away from the training ground. So if we were training Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, I'd be I'd be working on my, my right foot, which wasn't as good or looking at watching football matches to, to understand movements that players that I liked at the time, such as Andy Cole, were making. You know, we used to talk a lot about sort of like double movements and when you watch matches today and, and highlight programmes, you always always see sort of like the end result. But I was looking at the stages prior to that to see how people made space or found space for themselves because the good strikers at the time, Alan Shearer, Teddy Sheringham, Les Ferdinand, Everyone says, oh, they were just in the right place at the right time, but that's, that's an art uh, and that's something that you can practice. So I was looking at those kind of things and, you know, sometimes if you get there early, you see a session, you know, beforehand that you could watch and you might pick up something from there. So it's so, so almost about chasing inspiration um, and, you know, just trying to take all the, the small things um, in order so that you can give yourself the best chance of succeeding. Yeah, that's, that's that's fantastic, and you know, I, I certainly remember at the time. You know, Cole and York were big, weren't they? And I, I remember at the Cliff was practicing attack B defense a lot, and and you linking up with your other partner, you let it go through your legs and spin, and the other partner lay it off to you. So you know, they were a big influence at the time on all of us. That that brilliant team, ninety eight, ninety nine, that the treble winners. Um, but at sixteen, I know Fraser, you left home because you're a Yorkshire lad, so you couldn't stay at home. Um, yeah. And you went and lived in digs uh, with Graham and June Buckingham. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that was that was from like 14. So I used to come from 14, um, come over on a Friday night after school. It was a it was a, it was strange at first because obviously weekends you've been at school all week and you want to hang out with your friends and stuff like you would go to school with, obviously. But you know my weekends were dedicated to football. Uh, I'd come over and. You know, we'd I'd, I'd hang around my my teammates and stuff, which you know made it better for us as as a team. You know, we got to spend a lot of time for us. But it was difficult um, being fourteen and you know moving, staying in somebody else's house that you don't know, um, living under somebody else's rules, um, and and living in a completely different area. So it was it was a learning curve. But um, you know, Graham and you, great people, still speak to them uh, now. So it's. Um, you know they were great for me. They they helped me. Graham had been around the football club for quite a while as well. So, you know, if I was ever struggling with anything or needed some advice on stuff, he was um, he was always there to help out. Graham's and, still there now. Graham still works at the club now. He's he's getting on yeah. towards seventy, and he's still yeah. like the 
is the the cement or the glue, whatever it is that holds everything together. He's just an amazing guy. Um, yeah. Manchester United adapt. I mean, he met his wife June at the Stretford End, you know, and he's yeah. he's the guy who's been to every European Cup final that Manchester United have been in from you know 1968 on. So he's a legend of the club. So it must have been just wonderful spending that time with with Graham, and and he must have taught you a lot about the club and the importance of being a Manchester United player. Yeah, exactly. Like I said before, everyone around the club, not just the coaches, like I said, people like Graham, um, were. F- Totally into the club's ethos. Um, you know, he was telling me stories about how some of the, you know, the class of '92 down at um, the cliff and things like that. So he was, he was real, a real ambassador for the club. So it was, like you said, he was a bit of a legend as well. So it was perfect for me to to be there. Um, like I said, in a strange place from home, but it was, you know, it was uh, it was brilliant. And what about you, Aaron? Who who else do you remember? What are the figures? What are the sort of legends of the club had an influence on you during your teenage years? Um, Dave Bushel. <laughs> yeah, Dave Bushel. Tony, Tony Whelan was... Yeah, Old Man River. Yeah, Tony, <laughs> Tony Whelan was was huge. You know, diversity and equality is, is a massive talking point um, now. But 20 years ago, it wasn't so much and... Um, like you say, we talk about culture and Manchester a huge culture, but to, to go in and see a coach that looks like you and, and could emphasise with your upbringing uh, and, and someone who you almost felt supported you um, when he didn't have to, he was he was vital. And I was saying to you at the weekend that <clears throat> I still speak to Tony to this day, we was going to go on a walk with Tony. Me and a, a friend of mine was going to go on a walk with Tony a couple of weeks ago, so... I've got nothing but love and aspir- uh, admiration for, for Tony. Um, Paul McGuinness played a huge part uh, in, a, in our development uh, and, and the club in general. Um, it was There's so many. Eddie Leach I've seen recently, um, who I think was my first coach at Man United. And, you know, for, for you guys to be coaching a team of, you know, under 12s with 15, 16 lads in, and to have a team of 16 every single year and still remember someone that you coached 20 years ago is, yeah. is amazing. Um, but that just sums up Man United. It's, it's an amazing club. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I remember that group. I remember all the groups, really. I mean, the, the, the kids that I've had this year have been fantastic, some great characters. But, you know, when, when we had a chat a week or so ago talking about doing the podcast, then... You know, you two guys, um, you know, really firm in my memories back then. You know, you were great characters. And I think it comes out that your dedication to to football and your dedication to the club were, was so uh, great. And, you know, it's just been wonderful to see how you've progressed. I mean, I know you've been banging in the goals in, in semi-pro football, Aaron. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, do you want to just tell us a bit about, about your progress when you unfortunately had to leave Manchester United? Yeah, it was... Um... It was difficult um, because, like I say, it's, the, you know, it's a combination of a lot of years and, and aspirations, so it's not easy. Um, and it, it becomes even more difficult when, obviously, you know, you want the best for your friends, such as, as Fraser, who've stayed on and are, are going to go on, but you have to almost forge and, and fight your own path uh, and deal with your, your own issues. And I think, you know, a talking point, as I don't want to create too many talking points for the host, but... A talking a talking point for me would be that support mechanism for for when people come out the, out the game because for 10 
12 years, you've expected to, to be a professional footballer and live in a specific lifestyle and probably live in a bubble. And then when that bubble bursts, you know, how many people are actually there to, to support you? But, you know, that wasn't something that affected me, luckily. Um, so, yeah, I went on, I went and played in Iceland for a while in the Icelandic Premier League, um, and then, which was nice in Reykjavik. Um, and then I came back and went on a few trials, Cardiff, etc. Um, but you know, it, it just wasn't to be. I hadn't ha- gone out, even though I'd been top scorer in the reserves in, in the last season at Manchester United. I hadn't gone out and got that first team exposure and experience for, for whatever reason. Um, and then when it comes to clubs, sort of like taking a, a punt on me because that's what it would have been. Um, that experience or the fact that I hadn't played men's football. Um, was was the line that I was given at the time. Um, so I just decided to to go and play in the conference, which is obviously a you know a decent level. Um, at that time, you know, I'd been 20, 22 by by this age, 22, 23. Um you think you know I'm, I'm more than good enough. So I'm just gonna go to this level and score a load of goals and then you know in a in a year's time I'll be in League One. And that was that was the plan. But when you come out of the professional game and go into the semi-professional game, even though it's a very, very good standard and there's a lot of good players that play there, those semi-professional habits are at least not the standard that we'd live to at Manchester United creep in. And whether it be, you know, the preparation before a game or the preparation for training or even the facilities that you're training at. Um, and if you allow those bad habits to, to seep in, you ultimately end up finding yourself staying at that level for a little bit longer than than you planned. Uh, again, you know, luckily I was enough, good enough to to forge a good career and I scored a lot of goals in in non-league football. Uh, met loads and loads of good people. Um, but yeah, that's that was the situation. It wasn't what I envisaged when I was nine or ten. But ultimately, you know, everybody goes down their, their own paths. It's just about adapting and, and being good enough to to survive at whatever stage you're at in life really and and i know fraser you had, had a bit more success at the club because you you know you played made your debut made a few appearances for the first team at manchester united and then unlike aaron you, you got sent out on loan so how important especially listening to what aaron's just said you know do you feel those experiences with the first team at united and then going on loan at, at, at royal antwerp in belgium and uh, Hull City and Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, like as I said, without going out on loan, you've, there's always that question mark above your head whether you can um, make play it play at a level with other men <clears throat> when you've just been playing youth team football or reserve football. So it was, you know, it's, it's important. You see it now. Obviously, you see it back then. Players going out on loan. Um, if you do really well, you come back and you you feel you come back with confidence. You feel like you might have. A better chance um, to, to go and make it into the first team. I see it now as an older player. I see younger players go out on loan and come back, and you can really tell the difference that it's, it's made on them. You know, the, the the more confident the ball. Like when you first start training with the first team, everything feels it's like some hundred mile an hour. You don't know where the next pass is going to be. You're getting tackled because you're taking too long on the ball, but. With that experience going out on, on loan to another club and playing week in week out, you know it, it becomes the norm for you. So it's it's a lot easier to to settle into to men's football. So when you come back, you got you've got a better chance. Um, 
in going to the first team. So yeah, I went out to um, Belgium in Antwerp, Antwerp in Belgium. Sorry, with a few of the lads from the reserve team, and you know, it was again another life experience uh, living in a foreign country, different languages, driving on the side of the road. I've only just passed my driving test, and I was driving <laughs> on the side of the road. So it was, it was a not just a footballing learning curve, but you know, as a as a man, as a as a young adult, um, it was it was great to have that experience out there, and you know, it really, you know, because I did really well out there as well. When I came back, I felt much more confident in my ability to you know play against men uh, and and fancied my chances better to to break into the first team. And obviously, the first team at that time was very very strong. Who were the who were the players you're competing with? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a bad time to be coming through. Um, you know, there was uh, Van Nisseroy was there, Solskjaer, um, Tevez was there, Ronaldo had just come, uh, Rooney was there, um, Saha was there, um, Diego Forlan, um, Bellion. Uh, who else was there? Who else? What other strikers there? Henry Larson came for a while. Yeah, Henry Larson. So, yeah, there was a few average centre forwards in front of us <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah that but that it was just one of those things you know sometimes I remember going um I was I was around the train ground for the first team till October time November time and you know I think we played in the cup and we got beat so everyone went out alone I went out alone but while I was at the club everyone was fit and well so I wasn't playing any games or anything and then went out alone two months later all the Frontline are injured, and then I think it was Makeda that came in, and he, and he scored. I was like, "Well, how's my luck? Been waiting here patiently for six months, not a sniff." I got as soon as I go out, everyone decides to get injured. But you know, that's football. That's part of it. Um, you just gotta stay in it, keep keep doing your own thing, and and try not to get too distracted by you know, like I said, other people taking opportunities that you thought maybe you could have got or should have got, but you know, it happens. Then you got in in 2009, you got your move to Sunderland, you know, yeah. quite a big move, paid three and a half million, which is, you know, a, a sizable fee, really. So how did you feel, you know, leaving Manchester United and and going to, you know, Sunderland's a big club, going there with the expectations um, of playing in the North East? Uh, well, like I said, I was, I was around the fringe of the first team for a while, I was training with them. And, you know, it never seemed to be to be getting that that chance to, you know, have a good run of games to, you know, try and prove myself. So it was it came to a stage where it was I can sit here and just call myself a Man United player, which, you know, it's a great title to have. And a lot of people are happy to do that. But for me, I wanted to go out. It was a bit something a bit more. I wanted to go out and, and actually earn the right to, you know, be playing week in, week out in the in the Premier League. So it would come off the back of uh, the season where I went to um, Spurs because was uh, went on loan to Spurs for a year. Didn't really play much, so then I thought I'm going to come back and, and not continue playing again. Um, I was 21 at the time, and I just thought I need to. I want to start playing every week. So, um, like I said, I went I went to the Euros um, with England the 21s and ended up signing for Sunderland after that. You know, Steve Bruce is there, ex-Man United man. Again, uh, that link was always, it's always good for me as, you know, like I said, you guys were brilliant. The coach is all same kind of mentality and, and obviously he played at Man United for a long time. So, yeah, I went up there to try and, you know, kickstart um, my career and, you know, hopefully go from strength to strength. 
And I'm guessing, Aaron, that you you were still in touch with Fraser at the time and, and still mates. So how did you feel, um, you know, following his career and, you know, he's he's gone off to Sunderland and, you know, wishing him well with that journey, really, and that part of his uh, his football career? Like like you said, I thought it was the I thought it was the best thing for him. You know, obviously I'd been in the system and seen the competition. You know, I had a lot of people that obviously know that me and my best mates were saying you shouldn't believe in Man United, it's Man United. And I'm saying to him, it's about playing football and, and earning the right. And you know, he's good enough. Um there was other people that were our age in other clubs. Um, Everton, for example, you know, there was, there was two strikers that were exactly the same age as us that were playing. First team minutes for, for Everton, and, and um, you know I felt that it was the right decision for Fraser. We managed to get up there a few times and, and watch him, and you know you don't you don't understand how big football is in the northeast. So you go and watch a, a game, and then if you if you're lucky enough to go to a derby, uh, Sunderland or Newcastle, then you know that's, that's going to blow your mind. So um, I thought it was a great experience and. Like you say, you don't probably don't appreciate how big Sunderland are for you to you're actually there and everywhere you're going in Sunderland, everyone's a Sunderland fan. So I think it was it was great for, for Fraser and you know it's probably the, the making of him, maybe. So at Sunderland, you said Steve Bruce was there and you, and you learned a lot from him. And and what about other clubs, Fraser? You know, that, that you were at Cardiff or Crystal Palace and these clubs, who who were the managers there? Um, who were the top players? So you know, who were you? Who were you learning from? Um, I've got so many managers. Um, so when I first went on loan in the championship to Hull, um, Phil Brown was the manager there, and uh, me and him got on really well. Um, when I went there, the team wasn't doing great, and you know, by the end of the season, we ended up getting promoted. But he was he was great with me. Um, it was the first time I'd been somewhere, and you know, he. Wrapped me in cotton wool a little bit. He, you know, if, if, I, if I was tired or whatever, he'd give me the afternoon off or he'd give me days off, let me go home, spend time with my family and stuff like that. So he he really looked after me and, you know, it, it felt like he was had my best interests at heart. So, you know, in, in, in turn, I ended up playing some of the best football that I've, I've played. So it was, you know, he was at that stage of my career, right at the start, he was, you know, he was a key um, element in that. And, um, I think sometimes you need, you need that as a young lad, you know, someone to put their arm around you. And, but at the same time, when you're not pulling your slack, just, you know, tell you. So it was, um, he was great for me. Like I said, Steve Bruce, um, he, he started me, um, my career after Man United as such. Um, but yeah, I've worked with so many different managers. I've worked with Martin O'Neill, you know, he's got a big reputation. Um, Alan Pardew down at uh, Crystal Palace, uh, Sam Allardyce, the stats man um, at Palace again. So it's, um, yeah, I've worked with a lot of um, different managers, different styles, but, you know, the ones, you know, that they're all school ones, um, like, like Steve Bruce's, uh, I've always worked better with, with them type of people because, you know, it's, it's, um, it's how we were taught, really, wasn't it? And you mentioned family, um, coming home to your family, and I certainly remember your dad. Um, he was he was quite a character. I'm sure he's still a character now. Oh, indeed. <laughs> um, but you know how how important is that support from your family? Um, you know, while you're trying to make your way as a young player and then as a professional footballer, it's vital. For like especially so like for me it was 45 minutes uh, to get over to to train 
I've got three kids of my own now and they're going to after school clubs around the corner. I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if my parents were, you know, just as committed, probably more committed than I was, then it, it would have never worked. I would have never had the chance to go over to, to Man United and do it. So, you know, for them, you know, eternally grateful. So it's some people don't get the opportunity. A lot of my friends didn't, parents didn't even have cars or anything like that. So it was, you know, those getting the bus everywhere. So it'd have been, it'd have been a nightmare to, for, for me to try and make it anywhere unless, you know, Man United was on my doorstep. Um, so yeah, it's my family are massively important, but not only just taxing me around, you know, um, emotional support. Like when I'm moving over to Belgium and stuff, they they hired a van and they drove all my stuff from Manchester or Huddersfield, sorry, over to to Belgium. It took them like I don't know, twenty hours, something ridiculous. And I was fuming when they got there because they got there in the middle of the night. <laughs> went <laughs> into <laughs> I got a game tomorrow. It's three o'clock in the morning. But yeah, without them, you know, I wouldn't have been able to be on this football journey at all. And I know, Aaron, earlier you mentioned your mum and your gran. Um, you know, they played an important role for you as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you, like you say, you're eternally grateful. You can't, you can't thank them enough. Um, only when you become a parent and, and those expectations are put on you, do you realise exactly um, how straining that can be on a, on a family um, and especially, you know, as I said earlier, the kid that didn't just want to get there on time. I always wanted to be early, so you know, I was, I was moaning if if that was, you know, there was some reluctance to get there even earlier. So um, it is, you know, you have to be certainly thankful for for what they've done um, and just the the opportunities that they've given you, really, just by physically supporting you and, and physically getting to you from from A to B. Um, so yeah, it played, it played a massive, massive part, and especially with my mum and grand weren't really interested in in football, you know, one iota, but just did it because they loved me and they wanted me to to be happy and and successful. So yeah, I can't can't thank them enough. Fraser, I wanted to ask you about um, continuing on kind of a role modeling theme as your parents were role models. What about when you were at Manchester United, um, getting close to the first team? Who did you feel that was a real role model for you in terms of learning? Um, I think, luckily, like the the lads that were there at the time were brilliant. Um, even like Rio Ferdinand, he signed for thirty million, but he always had time to sit and talk to me for a bit. Um, you know, the Neville brothers they'd been through the system like we had, so they knew exactly um, what we were going through. So you know, they was always. Um, there for us I think Gary Neville was the one that went to the manager to get me my first deal you know he said you know you've been doing really well I think you deserve a new contract do you want me to go up and speak to the manager I was like yes please <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the, the, it was a real family um, a, a real family vibe at, at, at Carrington so it was um, gigs Frank gigs all the lads that have been through the system were, were brilliant with us you know they, they helped us um, through our journey like I said because they've been through similar things but not only them you know the, the woman at the reception um, she'd been there for over 20-30 years she was brilliant um, Dave Bushell guy that helps us with his education and things like that just every single person in the building had been there for such a long time and they were totally invested in the club so it was it was a real family vibe so it was never 
a, a thought of, you know, oh, I'm, just, I'm worried about going into the building. These people looking at me, you know, we was all there together. We all wanted the same thing. Everybody wanted um, everyone to succeed. And, and you know, that thing, that's why the, the academy itself has been so successful because, you know, everyone's pulling in the right direction or the same direction. And, you know, everybody benefits from, from that. Yeah, and, and what about some of the other young players that came through with you? I know you guys have kept in touch, but who else was there in the academy with you that you've kept in touch with or who's gone on and, and done good things in the game? Simo. <laughs> Danny Pimper, uh, Simpson. Um, <laughs> he's done all right. He won the Premier League, didn't he, with Leicester. He was at Huddersfield Town last year uh, with me again. But yeah, me, Dan and Alice have been close since we were, we were like 10, 11 um, Johnny, there's loads. Johnny Evans, see from time to time. Darren Gibson, um, Sean Evans, speak to him on, on the internet around again. Uh, Richie Baker, um, Luke Daniels. He's he had a he's he's, he's just left Brentford, I think. Yeah, got promotion with with Brentford. I think he played the last um, I don't know, handful of games because the. the the first keeper got injured, so he's, you know, he's done well. Me and him shared digs at um, uh, Graham and Jones back in Salford. So, um, Shawcross, yeah, Shawcross, he's over in Miami. Yeah, in Miami at the minute, yeah. I've been ringing him, saying, "Listen, Ryan, what's going on?" Fancy bit that Florida sunshine, Fraser. Uh, listen, it, it's good for your health, isn't it? Vitamin D. <laughs> No, that's that. That's brilliant. And uh, you know, again, we've mentioned you know the the coaches. You've been very kind in your in your praise of the coaches at the club and your and your family. Um, but who else? Who else was nurturing your love of the game, or or what? What importance is love of the game? You know, how did that sustain you throughout your childhood, and how important was it when the times were tough as you were getting towards the serious part of your career? You go first, phrase or me? <laughs> no, it's, it's it's something that you you can't uh, fake. If you don't enjoy playing football or you don't love the game, then you just you won't um, stand the test of time. It's it is demanding, uh, especially you know when you're getting older. Um, it, it becomes you know there's more pressure on the line. You know you're earning decent money from it, so you know you've you've got to perform. So it's. When time's not going great, you know you've you've just got to you know I think my what was it my last my last manager here was you know remember the time um, you know the Cowley brothers remember the time that you you first fell in love in foot with football um, you know where was it was it you was you playing outside with your dad was you having a kick around with your siblings you know just remember those those thoughts you know because we were going through a bit of a bad time uh, in results wise remember those times and you know try and channel that energy that you had back then into, um, you know, into the, into the, the up and coming game. So, you know, for me, I've always enjoyed playing football. I've really, you know, I love what I do. It doesn't really feel like a job. So it's, you know, I, I always, it's easy, you know, to, to, to keep the, that motivation um, mentally anyway, you know, physically getting a bit old now. So it's, it's a bit difficult, you know, your knees are aching in the morning, but um uh, yeah, the the mental side of it, you know, stuff, I don't think uh, I'll go. I think I'll, the rest of my life will be, you know, filled with with football in, in some shape or form. Yeah, Sanjeev, you want to come in and and say something else? 
I wanted to find out how um, how Man United allowed how allowed they allowed you to express yourself and be creative in training. Yeah, they they, they always did. Um, they they taught us the fundamentals of football. They taught us that how to play the, the Man United way. Um, they taught us that that winning was important, but we, we had to win with a, a certain style. It wasn't about winning at all costs. Um, and in order to do that, we had to, you know, play one and two touch. We had to pass and move. We had to communicate. We had to understand other people's um, positions on the pitch in case we had to had to fill in. And I think the first thing, first and foremost, we had to we had to outwork the opponents. And like I said earlier, you know, there was no better example than the first team at that time from from '99 to 2008 when I left. You know, you could argue that Man United were the best team in, in the world for, for that duration of time, for that eight or nine years. So we had a lot of inspiration um, internally and externally. But I think first and foremost, that that creativity and creation came from playing the right way and representing a badge. Every time we, we turned up at an away game or we went on a trip, we understood the importance of, of representing Manchester United and, and what that meant to, to walk around in, in that track suit. So it made you feel as though you were you were on course for the first team or you were the first team from the age of 11, which was a really special feeling and, and obviously creates creativity and inspiration. Yeah, and that's something that when I was a young coach starting at United, I had people like Tony Whelan that's been mentioned earlier and Paul McGuinness and and Brian Kidd and Eric Harrison, Jimmy Ryan, just saying to me, look, while you're wearing that badge, you've got to be the best. And you've got to be the best, you know, the kids have got to be the best on the field. You've got to be the best off the field. If you're in a hotel or in a, a restaurant or anything like that on the bus, as long as you're wearing that badge, you've got to be the best. So I don't, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I can never remember saying to you, look, come on, let's be creative. We never said be creative in that way. It was just that there was an expectation that you were going to be the best. And so if you were going to be the best, that meant you worked the hardest, you ran the most, you tackled the most, you chased the most, and you took people on and you scored the most goals. So it was just that constant message of just be the best at everything you do and the standards just being so high. And that, as I say, that that I think, I'd like to think I passed that on to, to you lads as young players, but that was because that was the message coming down from Alex Ferguson uh, via people like said before, Les Kershaw, Paul McGuinness, Jimmy Ryan, and all these people. And it was just such a common message. It was it was so powerful that there was no alternative, was there? It, it almost, it could be um, foreseen as sort of like a pressure, but it was, it was an honour. And and that didn't, even if you didn't have the tracksuit on, you walk into the local shop and, you know, you you find some sweets at the shopkeeper or you was in school or you was playing football on the, on the park. We were well before an age of social media, but everybody knew you played for Man United. So you just had to make sure that at all times you were just trying to be the best, and just not only the best footballer, but the best person that you could be. And that—that's the ethos throughout the club, and that's what for me uh, is, is is special about Manchester United because there is that true ethos from top to bottom for the last 30, 40, 50 years of let's win, but we have to win the right way, and we have to be the best whilst we're doing it. Yeah, and Sanjeev's asked me this before about, you know, what's so special about Manchester United and, and people expect you to come out with some sort of complicated practices that, that we used to do or whatever. And it's not, it's it's all about culture and it's all about high standards. And you mentioned that honour 
of being part of the club. And, and that was something as well that was drilled into me. Look, it's a privilege. You know, you are lucky to be involved at such a, a magnificent club with the history. You know, I was taught the history of the club and and the past, uh, the Busby Babes, the Munich Air disaster and the, and the 1968 European Cup final. All these sort of things were so important and, and you were part of that legacy as well, you know, and, and you were part of this amazing club with the history and tradition and, and it was important that you kept up those standards. So what about you, Fraser? You, did you always feel that as well? Yeah, I think me and Azza was talking about this the other day. Um, you know, even little things like if you're not 15 minutes early, you, you're basically late. It's, you know, it's something that I'd, I'd still do to this day. You know, it's um, was that into everything that, you know, you, you take it all in, you're soaking it all up. And we all, like I said before, we all wanted to be um, professional footballers. We all wanted to learn. We all wanted to be better. So no one wanted to be, ever wanted to be late. You know, it was it was all about keeping the dressing room tidy and stuff like that. You know, just just little things that raised our standards around the place. So when, you know, when you were doing things in games, you know, everyone's standard was so high. So then it, it makes the team better. So, you know, it's, it was it was great Um it was like a school. It was an education of not just football. I said it before. It was just the other side of, other side of it. You know, like manners, timekeeping, just how to be a better person. And you know, if you're a better person, you become. You know, if you have standards for yourself in life, then you know your standards in football are high as well. So it was it, two things went hand in hand, and it was you know, like you said, came right from the top all the way down to, you know, teams as as young as under 10s at the time. So, yeah, like you said, it was a privilege to be part of. And, you know, it was it was an honour to wear the badge. And, you know, I was very fond of, you know, being a Manchester United player. And and what about what about the future now, guys? Um, I know, Aaron, you're going into business a lot more. And, uh, you know, tell us about those plans. And also, from what we've just been saying, how much of these lessons that you learned as a young footballer at Manchester United informed you in your business career? Yeah, they, they, they help me every single day. Um, the transitional skills that I've learned through football, aside from all the good people that I've met, that, you know, are still connections to, to this day and people that I speak to and lean on for advice. Those transitional skills, Fraser mentioned, you know, timekeeping, appearance. You know, I'm going in, I, I work in education and apprenticeships um, at the moment and, you know, I um, I go into big, big organisations and I, I do presentations about, uh, you know, education and things of that nature. But ultimately, every time I'm sat on the train or in the car, I just understand that I've already worked for the biggest organisation in the world. Um, and I've seen from, you know, people that have served the dinners or the people that are security, all the way up to the best manager that football's ever seen. I've seen how they run this organisation from, from day to day and you know, the, all the big organisations that you can think of without giving anyone any plugs. They all look at Manchester United as, as, as how to be a successful business over a period of time. So those transitional skills that, you know, are vital and that will, will help me with the, you know, the, the life insurance franchise that me and Joe Thompson, who's obviously a former Man United academy player as well, uh, starting in, uh, starting in, in the last year or so. So, Invaluable, invaluable lessons that you can take away from from football, aside from the technical qualities that you you learn on the training pitch. 
And what about you, Fraser? You know, you, you're trying to get that move to into Miami, but once that's <laughs> once you've had a couple of years into Miami, are, are you looking to stay in football, going to coaching, management? I don't think management's for, for me, really. I'd like to be involved in, um, you know, in and around a football club and whatever um, title that may be. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure because I think I'd miss, you know, the day-to-day being around... Um, you know the football environment, and as well, like over these last few years, I've been the older senior player in, in the dressing room, and I've and I've I've really quite enjoyed, you know, uh, speaking to some of the uh, young lads. I was telling Azza, the lad that sits next to me in the change room now, who was born in two thousand and three, I was like, <laughs> I, was in, I was in my last year of of school. <laughs> when he was born so it's you know it's um, it's 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 crazy you know it, it boggles my mind sometimes but you know sometimes I'm speaking just about something that happened like 10 years ago and, and you can see they're all engaged like they're listening to every, every word so you know it's it, it's nice to to pass on you know some of the things that I've I've um, spoke like taught learned from you guys uh, the coaches at United to, to try and pass it on Um We've got one lad, um, Bakuna, and I, and I, because he's he has his hair different colours, he wears multicoloured boots, his pants shorts are always down low, and I was like, you need to have a training session with Francisco Filio. Because <laughs> 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 I had a pattern in my hair one time, and he he was hammering me saying, do you want to be a rapper or a footballer? And I was like, uh, never had a pattern in my hair after that. So I said, that's what I was saying to Bakuna. I was like, listen, do you want to be a, a rapper or do you want to be an actual footballer? Because you've got the ability, but you just need to, you know, forget all that nonsense, all the noise and, and concentrate on, on what you're doing. And, you know, he has a laugh and a joke about it, but hopefully he will one day, you know, he will take that away and think, yeah, you know, he was, he was right. And yeah, But yeah, it's I enjoy that side of it, you know, help um, people through my own experiences because, you know, I think, like I said, the people that were help talking to me, like the Ferdinands, the Nevilles, you know, they really helped me at the start of my career. So, you know, if I can help younger players. Pass that you know, experience on, yeah. yeah. And Sanjeev, any final thoughts before we uh, we have to wrap up this conversation? I got lots of questions, but I don't think we have any time. <laughs> You want to give one last? Yeah, one? Um, yeah. Let's uh, let's ask about maybe now that we're on the theme of what's going to happen next. How can you take um, some of the coaches that what, what have they taught you, or what will you take from their style or the way they presented to you? Or what do you remember? You know, back from when Tom coached you twenty years ago, what do you remember that really affected you? And the reason I ask that is as as a coach or you know people that are listening we want to recognize that, Hey, we do actually have impact on the kids that we work with. So 20 years ago, you know, if you still remember something that Tom's taught you or talked to you about, it means he's obviously done an amazing job, right? Yeah. I remember, um, not Tom, but Francisco said to me one time, he said, why, why you sit shooting for the sake of it? And I I remember thinking to myself, I don't, what do you mean? Obviously I'm shooting, trying to score. But he said, no, you're shooting. For the sake of shooting, if you, when you're going to shoot, shoot to score. And for a long time, it just made no sense to me at all. But then, as I've got older, I was just like, "Well, yeah, well, yeah." Like, don't slice at a shot, don't rush at a shot. You know, just 
when you've got a good angle and you know you think right this is where I'm going to score that's the time for you to shoot and that's that's always stuck with me because like I said at the time I had no idea what he was talking about <laughs> it's a Francisco was a Francisco was a was a coach like that wasn't he, he was like um, he was almost a, like an author everything he said had some sort of poetic meaning about how football was you know, a beautiful game. And to, to put a bit of context on the, on the Francisco thing, Francisco was a Brazilian coach that, you know, when we had him at 17, 18, was probably 70. <laughs> um, but he was he was trying to teach us how to do old red kicks and everyone's worried yeah. about kicks and stuff. He, he, like, he was very eccentric, but he was the guy that had come through at Clairefontaine and, and developed William Gallas and Thierry Henry and David Trezeguet. So, you, you know, you, you basically... Uh, sound every every single word that he, he said and it's crazy because that is a teachable moment because I remember that conversation that we had as a group uh, which probably was Fraser shooting for the sake of shooting I only shoot, shot to score um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, it was a teachable moment it's something that, that I vividly remember as well when me and Fraser were conversating about it the other day but I think for me is you know, if I was a coach, uh, I would just, I would just be talking to, to to players about setting 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 their own standards. Um, and I think one of my, I can call it a regret. I say one of my biggest lessons would be for a young player to set your goals higher than your expectations. And, and what I mean by that is my biggest goal was to, to, to get into Manchester United's first team and, and rightly so because we were at Man United but you know had I set my goal to be I don't know a World Cup you know which I'm, I'm English and maybe never going to achieve um, then if I fall short of that goal I still fall at a, a reasonable level and when I got in and around the first team scoring goals for the reserves and you know I had a little bit of squad number I almost didn't have the foresight or the, the understanding or even maybe the support network to say, you nearly at you, you perceived target from 10 years ago, go and set another one. Um, so if I'd have set my, my targets higher, um, then, you know, who knows where, where that would have gone. So interesting to see what, what Fraser's, how Fraser sets targets in terms of season in and season out, and what your targets were when you were, 10 when we first met in comparison to when you were getting those games for the first team how did how did you amend those targets because we never, we never talked about it as, as friends no yeah yeah it's like you said your first one was obviously to get in the first team but as uh, as you're getting closer you know you got to realign and I think one of one of my goals was you know when I heard that I was I was going out on loan I thought I want to have a um successful season out on loan, you know, try and make a bit of a name for myself. Um and and I think it was just I used to have short um targets, not like 10 years or five years or whatever. It used to be like six months and you know if I keep doing this for six months and if, if it pays off then you know then we'll we'll reevaluate and go from there. So I went away on my first loan, did well, I thought right when I come back to training, I'm going to train with the first team for a, a couple of months and and see where I'm at. If I think that you know I, I've got half a chance here of playing some games, then then I'll stick around. You know, really go for it. But you know, I came back, I wasn't quite ready still in my own mind, so I wanted to go out, you know, and, and try it maybe in an English league because I was over in Belgium for a season. Came back and then went 
to uh, hold in the championship. Another good season, and then came back, and and you know still wasn't really as close as I wanted to be. So it was, it got to a stage where you know I thought, well, it's I've got to set that target aside of you know being a regular for Man United. That's that's not going to happen right now for me because the timing's just not right. And maybe if I go somewhere else, do really well there, then maybe I'll get a chance to come back to a. Man United or another club that's is just as big. So it was, you know, it was. I just set small targets depending on the situation that I was in at the time, and the whole time trying to improve. You know, at training, trying to work harder. Um, like, like as I said, we were, we were blessed with loads of facilities at Man United, and now, you know, now I'm older. I always think, you know, it was. I never used half of the stuff that I could have used because it was the norm to me. You know, I went from 16 around the massive gym every day. You know, the canteen was brilliant. We had a guy that told us what to eat, you know, and I never really bought into it as much as, you know, I should have, like, thinking about it now. And that's that's just the beauty of, you know, um, hindsight. But... Um, it's things that, you know, I can pass on, like I said, to a younger person, you know, you blink once and you've gone from being an up and coming 17, 18 year old and now, and then you're 32, 33 and your knees are hurting every morning. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you've got to take, you've got to take everything you can. And, and I think it's getting better now because, you know, the sports scientists, there's, you know, nutritionists, there's like people, there's a whole, army of extra staff members around football clubs clubs now that can you know really help you as a young athlete uh, as a young professional to 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 get the best you know out of your ability out of your physique or whatnot so it's it's you just gotta um you gotta harness as much as you can of it and and, and um yeah use it to the best of, of your ability well that's a great message and a great place to to end the conversation and uh you know i must thank you all three of you uh aaron fraser and sanjeev there in in canada you know it's been a fascinating conversation i hope people listening find it useful and uh you know and i hope you'll join us again on the next episode of the go play soccer podcast see you now bye-bye thanks for listening and if you have a question or comment for us Or if you'd like to take part in one of our podcasts, please email podcast at goplaysoccer.com.